welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. Since the 1970s, a plethora of tools have been introduced to support the medication use process. However, little has been tried to automate the effort pharmacists expend prospectively reviewing medication orders. Review of many medications may be protocolized and implemented in an algorithmic fashion utilizing discrete data from electronic health records. On today's episode, we have two of Mayo Clinic's very best pharmacist informaticists, Drs. Diana Schreier and Ben Anderson, to introduce the concept of verification decision support and outline opportunities and challenges for its translation to clinical practice. So our objectives for today that are presentation specific are a little bit of review of the history and regulations of prospective medication order review, looking at the technical landscape for verification decision support, and finally reviewing a couple phases of some real world verification decision support outcomes that Dr. Schreier and I have partaken in over the last couple of years. So to begin with, we need a little bit of background and to understand, this sounds like a great idea. Why can't we just let the technology help us with our day-to-day work? And there's several layers for that. To begin, it helps to understand a little history of prospective medication order review, which is essentially the gold standard that we are held to as pharmacists here for how we handle looking at orders. So this is us taking the time to intervene on a medication order after it's signed by a prescriber, but prior to it being administered. And on the right of this, you can see a bevy of the information that we're kind of expected to look at as we verify each order. This is primarily affecting the inpatient setting and is for most orders. There are a few caveats you might be thinking about, such as things that would be emergency meds overrode and administered prior to us being able to perform this task. But for the most part, this is what we think about when we're talking about that review in the inpatient setting. And what drives this is both the federal and the state level. So this is an expert from the Joint Commission's guidelines on their medication management area that they review that we need to look at the appropriateness of all medication orders to be dispensed in the hospital. And their elements of performance or the EP that they look at with all of this is very similar to that list I just covered with the definition of what this PMOR process really looks like in our day-to-day. So this being here and being laws and regulations uh, is one of the potential barriers to pushing this work forward. Um, The other thing is the Joint Commission is directly tied with the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, which if you aren't aware, uh, is often one of our largest payers and um, failure to comply with things they lay out as regulations can lead to financial penalties as well. Uh, So this is quite the large endeavor to uh, begin to look at and move forward for changes. Additionally, the state level has rules that can vary. Um, This is from our Minnesota statutes. Um, You can see this language a little more higher level 
Um, so it would most likely be open to some interpretation, uh, but still on the books as some PMRO that we are expected to be doing and looking as we're verifying these medications for our patients. So bringing this into focus of what we wanted to look at is we spend a lot of our day verifying medication orders. And as you're probably well aware, um, a lot of these are from configured approved content. Um, they're very common. We might see the same version of the same Ondansetron order 70 times in a day and start to wonder, what clinical value am I adding at this point in time? Are there better things I could be doing with this time to really practice at the top of my license and offer value back to my patients? And as we just covered, we do have those regulations in place that require that pharmacist verification of the inpatient medications. So this concept of the electronic PMOR is not currently permitted on a wide scale. Our electronic health records do have the ability to help us develop these verification decision support tools, which we'll cover in a little bit more detail shortly. And it also gives us some additional safety and efficacy data that we would need about these systems though, before we could start to engage in these conversations and potentially make this push uh, to allow this technology to be utilized in our day-to-day -day workflows. And this brings us to our first assessment question. Barriers to implementation of automation tools for the prospective medication order review process include, A, lack of approval from regulatory bodies, including the Joint Commission, B, lack of approval from state boards of pharmacy, C, lack of data on the safety and efficacy of EPMOR, D, lack of appropriate technical infrastructure and electronic health records, E, A, B, and C above, or F, all of the above. I'll give everyone just a minute to think of what they would answer. And it is E, A, B, and C above. Uh, the primary barriers being uh, the regulatory changes that would need to be in place. And a barrier we are working on actively addressing is the lack of data around the safety and efficacy of these types of tools. Shifting gears a little bit, I'd like to review some of the technical things we're able to develop for this verification decision support. We look at this as an automated processes that can assist us in our order verification. They rely on some of our criteria. And so what we did when we worked on this originally is we met with a bunch of our content experts across our Mayo Clinic enterprise, selected a subset of medications and looked at what would be typical dose routes frequencies. What other things would we be concerned about from a laboratory value perspective? A QT interval, um, other meds potentially that the patient has, known information from their problem list, and again, some of the more typical things that we're used to seeing in structured formats, such as medication interaction warnings. So from this, we kind of went through all of the process and came up with the following. Some you'll be familiar with, some might be new. Um, a verification checklist, duplicate medication identification, abnormal lab value notifications, medication warnings, and our electronic prospective medication order review. So the first one is a verification checklist. This is part of a pilot project that we're currently working on. 
And what we did is we broke out all the aspects of everything we were looking at for a typical acetaminophen order and put it into a visual display of what was passing denoted with a green check or what the system failed denoted with the red X. So you can see this is quite a bit of information and the real end goal of this is to help decrease a cognitive burden of all of the information you would need to look at as a verifying pharmacist and really help you target in on the key aspects that the system was unable to confirm were okay based on the parameters we programmed. Next is our duplicate medication identification. Um, it was included in that checklist as well, but for many other medications throughout our enterprise, uh, we do have a warning that's kind of in line in the sidebar. So you can see the little orange box with the prior administrations of a cephalosporin that appear and help let us know what the dose and when the last administration occurred so we can accurately time our new order before we proceed with our verification. And again, we did pull the lab values in for those medications where we had concerns um, into our verification decision support report itself, but also in line, uh, many of your orders that have relevant labs that could be abnormal or you need to be aware of are provided in line for you. Um, and typically, depending on how the lab has their parameters set, if things do fall abnormal, they'll get the A notation with the addition of the highlighting to help draw your attention. Our trusty medication warnings. Uh, so these we have a little different aspect of control over. They're provided by First Data Bank, our data vendor, and cover things such as our drug-drug interactions, allergies, out-of-range dosing, pregnancy, lactation, and some age information. So we do have a little bit of control over these, uh, but for the most part, we do use what our vendor provides. Um, and we see these either post-clicking the verify button, the system automatically runs it. It also runs when the order is signed. And there are ways to just access this information as well through the interactions activity uh, to see what might be occurring before you were to click verify, if you so choose. And finally, our electronic prospective medication order review. So this is looking at kind of everything we covered and having the system help look at all of these things prior to the dispensing. So again, the current regulations allow this action to occur in areas that provide oversight by a provider, such as an operating room or the emergency department, but not widespread in the inpatient setting. So in your day-to-day -day practice, you may be familiar with not having to interact with many orders in that OR or ED setting on a day-to-day. -day. So what this would look like is the order is placed, it runs through our algorithm. So if you can think back to that giant checklist of the acetaminophen, the system is checking all 12 lines worth of that information and would make sure everything would have gotten that green check and passed. If that were to be the case, the system would meet our verification decision support criteria and the order would be verified. If it did not meet that, it would come into your pharmacist queue still and you would have all of the supplemental tools we just reviewed available for you to determine the appropriateness of that order. Now for our second assessment question, 
Verification decision support systems encompass which of the following tools? Verification checklist, B, duplicate medication identification, C, abnormal lab value notifications, D, medication warnings, E, electronic prospective medication order review, EPMOR, F, A, B, C, and D, or G, all of the above. And the answer to that is G. And with that, we'll take a brief pause and I will hand the slides over to Diana. Thank you. Can you just confirm that you can see my presentation view of the slides? You are good. Perfect. All right. So I have objective three, which will be looking at some real world verification decision support uh, outcomes. So to start, we'll look into the studies that Ben had alluded to uh, in his slides. And the first one being is developing a background simulation EPMOR system that will store the EPMOR outcomes, but doesn't perform the verification step. And this was done for 10, 10 commonly verified medications. Um, so as, as we learned from Ben's portion of the presentation, it's not really legal to do EPMOR for inpatient medications. In fact, it's just not. And we also would like to continue to have our Joint Commission accreditation. And there's a variety of reasons why it's not necessarily a good idea to just turn this on and try to figure out what might happen. So the study was intended to test and see what would happen without actually turning it on. So the secondary objective was to compare the outcome of the simulation EPMOR system to pharmacist verification of those select medications. So conceptually thinking about how this would actually work, each order is placed in one category according to the EPMOR and pharmacist verification outcomes. So you can see that that creates four quadrants. Uh, the most simple of the four would be the ones where the two outcomes agreed. So quadrant one, where the pharmacist verified the order and the EPMOR system passed the order. So that would be uh, where they, there was agreement. And secondarily, uh, quadrant four would be where there's agreement, where the pharmacist did not verify and the EPMOR system also did not verify the order. However, where it actually gets interesting is when there is disagreement in the two outcomes. Um, quadrant two would be one example when the pharmacist did not verify an order and the EPMOR system passed the order. And then the other uh, quadrant would be quadrant three, where the pharmacist verified the order, but the EPMOR system didn't pass. And this, these quadrants would tell us either we have a potential EPMOR error, um, or there's just some kind of discrepancy in our data that we need to figure out. And then quadrant three would be, we're missing these orders that pharmacists are verifying. So question being, is this a missed opportunity for EPMOR? Uh, looking at our study, so as we had alluded to, there were 10 medications, and these were selected from the top 20 medications that were verified at Mayo Clinic. And then we narrowed it down using the senior managers at Mayo Clinic, helping us define which orders would be of most interest. Uh, so one of the goals was to have both the simple and the complex. Uh, so for instance, Bizacodal, Miralax, um, Senadocusate, there's really not all that much risk. So it's kind of just like a proof of concept that we could do this. But there is a risk with some of these medications, right? So we look at Ondansetron, Haloperidol, Dicanhydramine, Potassium Chloride. Well, this is where we want to get into the nitty gritty and try to figure out uh, if our system actually can 
evaluate appropriate use of these medications prospectively. So we do have a good variety of both so that we can kind of prove out and tease out and, and challenge ourselves and test the limits of the system that we're developing. So looking at the orders that were evaluated in this first study, the study ran for a total of five days across the entirety of the Mayo Clinic Enterprise, lasted from 4-5-22 to 4-10-22, and there was a total of 13,404 orders. You can see that for most medications, there was just over a thousand some orders that were evaluated, the lowest being diphenhydramine, which only had 350 orders come through the system, and the highest, of course, being Tylenol, which had many more. Uh, but that is as expected. That's what we would expect to see in the clinical practice in a given week. Looking at the overall outcomes, so this is the aggregated data for all 10 medications. Uh, again, quadrant one and four are the probably the least interesting quadrants because quadrant one, 55%. The pharmacist verified in the EPMOR system passed in quadrant four, where the pharmacist did not verify and the EPMOR, our EPMOR system didn't pass was 1.3%. But where it becomes more interesting is in our quadrant two and three. So 0.7% of orders or 105 orders total, we saw that the pharmacist did not verify them and the EPMOR system passed them. Conversely, there are about 43% of orders that were evaluated and verified by the pharmacist, but our EPMOR system didn't pass. So that leaves some opportunity for us to evaluate errors and figure out if, if the bounds of our EPMOR system could be extended to potentially capture more orders. Now, looking at this slide, it is the overall outcomes are exactly the same, but this breaks it down by medication, kind of showing that um, we are seeing relatively similar outcomes across all of the 10 medications in terms of percentage of orders verified and not verified um, and such. We see that there is technically a statistically significant difference, but that is what we would expect with such a large volume of orders having gone through. So the clinical significance of that is really what this will all come down to. Now, one of the most important things that we wanted to look at was the 105 orders where the outcomes were different, because the question being, like, if we were ever to implement such a system, we want to make sure that it is safe and that we are not going to harm patients. Um, so part of that is looking closer into the actual outcomes of the data. Now, again, this is a perspective or retrospective review, so it's, it's impossible for us to actually know what the pharmacist was thinking or what was going on with the patient at the time because we are limited by what was documented within the chart. Uh, so uh, this was the result of our evaluation from those orders. Looking at the table, we go from the highest uh, count of modification to the lowest. And again, our definition of not verified by pharmacist uh, encompass a lot of things. There is the rejected outcome, but there's also the pharmacist modified it before they verified it or that the order was discontinued before the pharmacist even saw it. Um, so in terms of scheduling changes, we had 51 total scheduling changes out of the 105. So that was the most common thing to be occurring. Uh, the things that we saw within that category would be, for instance, pantoprazole was frequently changed from being a BID dosing to being BID before meals. Um, we had hours changed to times per day. So if something was scheduled for every six hours, it was altered to be four times a day instead. And we understand that, that the reason for that is so the dosing times aren't in the middle of the night. 
And of course, some changes to say that the order should be included now instead of the initial timing of the order. 19 orders was a duplicate order. And our system does identify duplicate orders, but it cannot predict what a pharmacist may ultimately decide to verify when given two orders. So we confirm that in those 19 scenarios, our system decided to pass a different order than the pharmacist decided to verify. So even though both had the same net outcome of only one order passing, uh, our system just selected the opposite one of the pharmacist. Uh, there are 14 orders that were discontinued by the provider before pharmacist verification. And again, these were the ones that were really hard for us to know actually what happened because there's little to no documentation within the chart for these. So that is definitely a limitation of this evaluation. There are dispense location changes. And the way that we saw that was changing the order to come from a different Rixis machine. There are product selection changes. Some examples that we found were changing a capsule product to a tablet product, a suspension to a solution, and then an IV product to an oral product. Dose reduction to an alternative dose that would have passed VDS criteria also. So in all of these cases, it, it, in all of these cases, it was changing acetaminophen, a thousand milligrams to 650 milligrams. There were lab values that were being considered. Uh, so for instance, the reference QTC uh, that the EPMOR criteria that we were instructed to design looked back seven days for a QTC value, but we saw that some pharmacists were looking further back. And then we also the issue where our system was not set up to find not finalized results and the pharmacists were of course using those. So um, looking at that there, there's also discontinued by the pharmacist without documentation or a clinical contraindication. So we could tell that the pharmacist had done the discontinuation action, but we couldn't really tell why they had done it. There is no documentation. Uh, there is discontinued after med history performed and the patient not taking. So again, Technically, it passed all of the uh, elements for appropriate use that we had programmed, but we weren't looking to see if it was on the patient's prior to, prior to admission medication list. And then lastly, there was one dose increase or pantoprazole was changed from 20 to 40 milligrams. So with that, uh, we had a couple of takeaways from study one. First of all, we confirmed that protocolization and automation of the prospective medication order review process in the electronic health record is possible using a clinically driven algorithm. And to our knowledge, this is the first time that anyone has tried to even do that. Uh, we've also confirmed that the requisite EHR infrastructure exists for the development and implementation of a system to simulate EPMOR outcomes in real time. And again, this is a huge limitation too, because there is no way to prove that this could be safe and effective without us having a way to test that it is potentially safe and effective. The framework established by this study creates a system through which EPMOR can be iteratively refined within the balance of current regulation. Again, there's no way for us to prove that this is a good idea without having a system for us to implement this in real time using real patients and getting real outcomes about the, the medication use that could have resulted from the system. And then lastly, EPMOR is a developing technology and further research, research is necessary to address the safety and feasibility of such automation systems. So this brings us to where study one leaves us. We confirmed that we can build and 
and implement a simulation EPMOR system. So that's a huge win because we weren't sure at the get-go. Secondarily, we can tell when pharmacist PMOR differed from the simulation EPMOR system. However, a huge limitation is that it is difficult to retrospectively tell what pharmacists were thinking about when verification outcomes differed. We can tell, not tell with any kind of certainty uh, why the outcomes differed. So for instance, were our VDS criteria wrong? Was there an EPMOR error that caused the outcomes to differ between the pharmacist and the system? Was the order an intentional order that just didn't adhere to VDS criteria? And we knew that there were going to be some of those, but it's hard for us to tell if that's the case. Um, or was it a verification error and it was a good catch by our system? So we don't know if the VDS criteria informing our simulation EPMOR system aligns with the pharmacist clinical practice. Now, if we think back, we know that we use clinical pharmacists to help develop these criteria. So theoretically, they're good from that standpoint. Um, but the limitation of all of this is that it's dependent on what the pharmacists uh, making those criteria for us remember to think about. It's what their clinical practice area is, what they're used to seeing on their order sets. And that doesn't necessarily apply to every use scenario that could occur across Mayo Clinic. So um, with those limitations and knowing that there's still a lot that we do not know after comparing these outcomes uh, with the system, uh, this came to study two. So the objectives for study two were to first develop a verification checklist for 10 commonly verified medications to be implemented in two iterations to evaluate the utility of prospective and retrospective VDS notification. And then secondarily, the, the goal of this is to iteratively refine the VDS criteria using pharmacist responses at the time of order verification. Now, as Ben had alluded to, the VDS criteria is kind of the core of any VDS framework. So even though technically EPMOR is different than verification checklists in a lot of ways, the one thing that truly unifies them is the criteria that they are informed on. Uh, if we are providing decision support to the pharmacists facing them versus in the background, we want to make sure that the criteria are correct. We want to make sure that they are uh, similar across all of the frameworks that we may be using. So although the study is different in a lot of ways, the core of it is saying, can we actually develop VDS criteria that would be usable in the clinical practice area? So this second study has two iterations. Uh, the first iteration is a retrospective notification to the pharmacist. So it's a checklist pop-up that occurs after order verification when a medication that did not pass our VDS criteria was verified. And then the second iteration is a retrospective and prospective notification. So with the, retro with the retrospective notification, we still have that checklist pop-up after verification when an order was verified that didn't meet VDS criteria. But secondarily, we also in the verification queue, when the pharmacist is evaluating the order, there is a verification sidebar passive display to prospectively display whether VDS criteria passes or failed for orders in the verification queue. So this is what they look like. Um, so the, on the left, you can see the sidebar, the prospective sidebar during verification. So in this scenario, I had entered um, 
to two Tylenol orders in succession. So my first Tylenol order, I entered in, typed it in, verified it, and then went to the MAR to administer it. And then a couple of minutes later, I went back and I ordered another Tylenol order. So at this point, I have a duplicate Tylenol. I have a recent administration. And I also happened to, before all of that, have entered an abnormal lab. So what I'm seeing in these two notifications, but we'll look first at the sidebar one. What I'm seeing as a pharmacist looking at the second Tylenol that was entered. So this new Tylenol is in my verification queue. I might not know anything about it, theoretically. Um, in the sidebar, I have all of this information regarding this order. So as I can see, I can see that there must be a duplicate Tylenol order because I see a red X next to the no active Tylenol orders. Uh, I know that there must be an ALT that's greater than 165 because I can see a red X next to that. And lastly, I can see that uh, Tylenol must have been administered in the look back or the time that my order is supposed to start is less than five and a half hours from that last administration. And I know that to be true because I had entered that. Um, so the next step would be if I hit click, if I click verify the order and I don't heed any of these warnings, the next thing that pops up is what's on the right, which is the best practice advisory. So these uh, are these pop-ups are only to display when one of the criteria is not met. In the scenario, three of the criteria are not met, so it's doing uh, triple duty. But in fact, it's just one criteria to pop up. And then what happens is to acknowledge the BPA that the pharmacist sees, there's a reason for verification where they can indicate why, despite having those criteria that are saying that they're failing, why they continue to verify the medication. And this really helps fill in the gaps from the first study where the limitation was, I can tell when the, when the outcomes differed, but what I cannot tell is why they differed. So this helps us gain some insight into what the pharmacist was thinking to say, do we need to update our VDS criteria to encompass the clinical scenario that was occurring? Is, was this an intentional abnormal order where it was appropriate for this specific patient, but it is not appropriate for all patients? So even though it doesn't meet VDS criteria, it's still okay for the pharmacist to be reviewing this medication and, and making their clinical decision. And then lastly, was it an error? Maybe the pharmacist didn't see the duplicate before they verified the order, and this was catching that duplicate um, and showing it to them. So from that, we're able to understand what the pharmacist saw. They either saw the duplicate they didn't realize before, and now they're going to go fix it, or they say, this was what I was intending to do because of this or that. And we get all of the information that we're interested in from that. So study two findings are in progress. It is set to end tomorrow. Um, so we hope to have our final results sometime in the next two to three weeks. Uh, but we have done an interim analysis of it as time has gone on because we did not want to blast pharmacists with inappropriate alerts. Uh, so we did identify uh, through piloting of this process as well as the implementation that's currently occurring some opportunities for us to refine our BDS criteria. These would be some examples. So the first was with duplicate checking. Uh, the feedback that we got from an initial implementation of this uh, was that Pharmacists were not very excited about being notified of duplicate PRN reasons from the same order set. So if you think about all the order sets out there that exist, I have like 
Bizzicoto and Miralax and send a docusate on them. And all of the PRN indications would be for constipation. Pharmacists are not very enthusiastic about the idea of being notified about a duplicate PRN reason that's from uh, configured content within one, peer, one order set. Uh, so what we did to, to mitigate that was to uh, say, if, if the duplicate PRN reason is from the exact same order set, then do not flag. But if the duplicate PRN reason is from a different order set or is from a one-off order that wasn't from an order set at all, then flag for the duplicate PRN reason. We also found some refinements to be made for dosing, frequency, routes, et cetera. So again, like we said, we don't necessarily know all of the clinical practice based on the criteria that we were given. It's really limited by the practice areas of the pharmacist that had developed those uh, criteria. So we have made additions to the allowed order parameters to reflect the clinical practice in various areas. Um, acetaminophen was something that we spent a lot of time making updates to. The first being the order start time. So initially our criteria said, if there is an acetaminophen administration within the past six hours, then say it failed the criteria. Um, but we know that our pharmacists spend time specifically looking at the administration time and calculating the start time of a new acetaminophen order based on that. So we made the update to say, based on this order and verification queue and what its start time will be, subtract that from the last administration time and make sure that the difference is more than five and a half hours. There are also issues with IV Tylenol where it, um, we are now using the start time of an administration to avoid counting administrations as ongoing window stop time is documented. So with our initial implementation of this this study, study number two, we had the issue where uh, if the nurse never documented a stop time, it was the infusion was considered to still be going, even though if, if it was like a day ago um, and the infusion only lasts 15 minutes technically, that it would still be capturing it as a recent administration and any time that the pharmacist would do would not work because it thought that it was still going. So we count the start time of an IV Tylenol now so that we can remedy that issue. And of course, we have a lot more data now uh, since we've been doing this four week study. So additional refinements will come once we have our final review of the study data. So to summarize the various investigations for verification decision support, we have performed two studies here at, Med uh, at Mayo Clinic utilizing BDS criteria. Study one utilized VDS criteria to develop a simulation EPMOR system and established a framework through which EPMOR can be evaluated within the current regulatory landscape. In study two, we utilized VDS criteria to develop verification checklists to evaluate the utility of and iteratively refine the pre-established VDS criteria using re real-time pharmacist feedback. But VDS is an emerging technology, and it really is in its infancy. So initial, additional initiatives will be needed to refine the VDS criteria and determine the best use cases for this technology. Again, we're not aware that anyone has done anything like this before. Uh, and the first two studies of something is not the end-all be-all. So there's a lot more to come on this, but it is um, something that is emerging and will likely uh, be studied more looking towards the future. So 
That leads us to our third assessment question, which is verification decisions support systems would effectively replace a pharmacist. So you can think about that for a minute. And our answer for this is false. So there's a lot of reasons why this is false. Um, so first of all, as I alluded to, this stuff is in its infancy. So it, it's not ready for prime time anytime soon. But secondarily, a lot of this is still dependent on the pharmacist's clinical knowledge. Pharmacists are really good at having insight into the overarching information about a patient. So even our best criteria will never uh, replace that kind of insight that is necessary to provide optimal patient care. To conclude, pharmacist verification of medication orders is time consuming and can be protocolized for common orders. Verification decision support is an emerging automation technology that utilizes best practice VDS criteria established by clinical subject experts. And more work is necessary to refine VDS criteria and determine the optimal medications and workflows for VDS tools. I would like to acknowledge a number of individuals that have helped us with these studies along the way. Dr. Pooja Oja, Dr. Evan Draper, Dr. Susan Flager, Mark Siska, Kristen Mara, Brian Kennedy, and Dr. Hillary Tiford. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.